Hello and welcome to LBC Irregulars, a Sherlock Holmes podcast radio episode brought to you by the Longbox Crusade. This is episode two of the radio show series. I'm your host, Jared Ulrich, the yard sale artist, a.k.a. Death Pro. And I'll be taking you through the vintage radio show appearances of Sherlock Holmes. For the foreseeable future, I plan to focus solely on the Nigel Bruce and Basil Rathbone New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes show that aired from 1939 to 1947, although Tom Conway took over for Basil Rathbone as Holmes in late 1946. But anyways, I may step out to other radio show appearances from our favorite London-based detective from time to time, but for now, we're going to keep it in the, the 1939 and 1947 shows. Now, this is not an index show. We're not going to start at the beginning and go one by one mainly because the history and availability of these old radio shows is an absolute rat's nest, especially finding radio shows of a decent audio quality. Some episodes even have multiple titles depending on how and where they were released. So we're going to hop around in time and listen to randomly selected episodes on this podcast. In this episode, we will be listening to The Bruce Partington Plans, which aired November 6, 1939. And I want to thank the Arthur Conan Doyle encyclopedia website they are keeping me straight on all these dates and release times and seasons and it's a good resource folks once again that's the arthur conan doyle encyclopedia website now after we listen to the case of the double zero my guests and i will discuss our thoughts on it and we invite you to be part of the conversation you can leave us a voicemail with your thoughts at 707-532-5269 lbox or comment on the show at Longbox Crusade. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, it's all Longbox Crusade. Or email us at contact at longboxcrusade.com. Your comments just might get played or read on a future episode. Now it's time for the show. Let's dim the lights, travel back in our minds to a London of the past, through the chilled and foggy streets to 221B Baker Street. Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, starring Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce. The makers of Grove's Bromo Quinine Tablets bring you another adventure of Sherlock Holmes with Basil Rathbone as Sherlock Holmes and Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watts. A cold is a miserable thing. A cold may become a dangerous thing. Even a so-called light cold can take a serious turn. Be prompt, be decisive in your treatment of a cold. At the very first sign of a cold, take Grove's bromoquinine tablet. Bromoquinine tablets quickly check the symptoms of a cold, quickly relieve the distress of a cold. They give you speedy results, which are very important. Don't monkey around when you can get such a dependable preparation as Grove's bromoquinine tablet. And now, here we are again on our usual visit to Dr. Watts. He's waiting for us in his study. A cheerful blaze crackling on the hearth. Very relieved to see you, Mr. Manning. Hasn't the weather been atrocious today? I was beginning to wonder if you'd be able to get here tonight through all this fog. Yes, it certainly is what you Londoners call a regular pea super. <laughs> indeed. It reminds me of the adventure of the missing submarine plans. The case that was solved in the underground. Underground? What you Americans call a, a subway. 
Yes, but what has a solution in a subway got to do with a foggy night? Well, you see, the affair started in weather exactly like this. It was the third week in November, the year 1895, to be exact. On Monday, a dense yellow fog had settled down upon London. On Thursday, it was still there, thickier and, and murkier than ever. At first, Holmes had turned his nervous energy to cross-indexing his huge reference books. But when, after pushing our breakfast chairs back for the... For the fourth morning, we saw the greasy brown swirl still drifting past the windows. Holmes's patience snapped. Holmes, if you must pace around in circles, I wish you'd change directions now and then. You're, you're making me dizzy. Bah! It's inexcusable, Watson. Inexcusable. No initiative. No imagination. Nothing ever gets done. If you're alluding to the inactivity in this last session of Parliament, my dear Holmes... I'm not speaking of our lawmakers, Watson, but of our lawbreakers. The London criminal is certainly a dull fellow. What makes you say that? Well, look out of the window. Ideal weather for committing a crime. The criminal advances on his intended victim practically unseen. He pounces and disappears into thin air. <laughs> there have been numerous petty thefts, ah, I believe. Petty, petty thefts. Pickpockets, ragamuffins. What's the country coming to? Now, if I were a criminal, Watson... Well, I, for one, would move to America. <laughs> oh, hello, hello. Mrs. Hudson's knocking. Excited. What's up, I wonder? Hudson, what is it? Oh, a telegram for me. Uh, yes, sir. Very well, thank you. Oh, well, what's it, sir? Well, wait until I open it, can't you? Ah, dear me. What next? Most unusual, Watson. Most unusual. What's most unusual, Watson? What's it, sir? Well, it's from my brother, Mycroft. You remember him. He helped us solve the case of the Greek interpreter. He's coming here. Why not? What's so phenomenal about it? Why that? not? Why not, indeed? It's as startling as it would be to meet a tram car coming down a country lane. Yes, yes, now I come to think of it. Uh, Mycroft is rather like a tram car. His rails lead from his pell-mell lodgings to the Diogenes Club in Whitehall. That's his circle. I wonder what upheaval could have derailed it. Doesn't the telegram explain? It says, uh... Must see you about Cadogan West, coming at once. Cadogan West? Cadogan West? Why, that's the young chap who's found dead in the underground on Tuesday morning. I remember reading about it in the papers. Oh? The young man had apparently fallen out of the train and, and killed himself. He hadn't been robbed, and there was no reason to suspect violence. Quite an uninteresting case, if I remember correctly. And yet, it's serious enough to cause Mycroft to alter his habits. No, Watson, this must be an extraordinary event. Uh, do you recall any other facts about the affair? Yes, I come to think of it, there was one unusual bit about came out of the inquest. They were unable to ascertain at what point he entered the train. His ticket was missing. Strange. What articles were found on the body? Two pounds fifteen, I believe it was, a checkbook and... Oh, yes, 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 two dress circle tickets for the Woolwich Theatre. Dated for that evening. Theatre tickets, eh? Then it wasn't suicide. A man doesn't procure theatre tickets for the evening on which he intends to end his life. Anything else? A small packet of... Technical papers. Technical papers? What kind of technical papers? The, new, the newspapers didn't say. Ah, as serious as that. What did the young man do? Where was he employed? He was a clerk at Woolwich Arsenal. Ah, government employee. There we have it, Watson. British government, Woolwich Arsenal, technical papers. That's why Mycroft is involved in this affair. I don't understand. No, I suppose not. Watson, have I ever told you what Mycroft is? Your brother, of course. Oh, no, 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 Watson. Do you have to be so dense? I mean, do you know what he does? I seem to have some vague recollection that you once told me that he'd held some small office under the British government. It would be more accurate to say, in a way, that he is the British government. What? His position is unique. He made it for himself. 
is the tidiest and most orderly brain of any man alive, with a great capacity for storing facts and giving them the proper interpretation, the conclusions that every government department have passed on to him. He's the central exchange, the clearinghouse. Again and again, his word has decided the national policy. He thinks of nothing else. Nothing else can lure him from his contemplations. And yet he's coming here. Yes, Jupiter is descending on us today. What on earth can happen? Uh, Watson, that sounds suspiciously like a bad pun. Ah, here he is, if I'm not mistaken, to speak for himself. Come in, come in. Hello, Mycroft. What's up? What's up? You look flustered. Most annoying business, Sherlock. Most annoying. You know how I dislike altering my habits. Extremely awkward for me to come away from the office, particularly with Siam in its present state. Oh, dear me. Yeah, sit down, Mycroft. Sit down. Uh, you know, Watson, of course. Yes, yes, of course. I'm trying to find a chair that I can trust to hold me. Yeah, better take the sofa. You certainly haven't got any thinner. I've never seen the Prime Minister so upset. This is the Admiralty. It's buzzing like an upset beehive. You know anything about the case? Uh, Watson just been telling me what was in the newspapers. Uh, just what were the technical papers found on the body? Sherlock, for the love of heaven, not so loud. Those papers which the wretched youth had in his pocket were none other than the plans of the Bruce Partington submarine. Oh? The submarine which would completely revolutionize naval warfare. The most important papers in our government archives. Under no circumstances could they be removed from the office. Even the chief constructor of the Navy was forced to go to Woolwich if he desired to consult them. And yet we find them in the pockets of a dead junior clerk in the heart of London. Yeah, from an official point of view, it's deplorable, my dear Mycroft. Simply deplorable. You may laugh, Sherlock. But this country won't be safe until they're recovered. But I thought you said that they were found in the pocket of this chap, Cadogan West. Ten papers taken from Woolwich. Seven were found in the pockets of Cadogan West. Three are still missing. The three essential ones. To recover those three papers is imperative. The peace of Europe depends on... Mm, nice little problem, eh, Watson? Why did Cadogan West take the papers? How did he die? How did his body reach the place where it was found? And where are the missing papers? Find the answer to those questions, Sherlock, and you'll have done your country an invaluable service. Oh, why don't you solve it yourself, Mycroft? I believe you could. Oh, possibly. But it's a question of digging out details. Give me the details, and I can give you the solution from an armchair. No, when it comes to running about and cross-questioning railway guards and lying on one's face with a lens to one's eye... <laughs> no, no, that's not my nature. <laughs> Besides, your, your figure prevents your taking such an undignified position, eh? <laughs> Very well. Leave that part of it was, eh, Watson? That's <laughs> all. Good. I've got a cab waiting outside to take the place where the body was found. I can give you the details on the way. <laughs> the official guardian of these famous papers? No less a personage than Sir James Walter, a gentleman who's grown grey in the service. His patriotism is beyond suspicion. A bachelor, if I'm not mistaken, lives with his brother. Yes. He was the house of Admiral Sinclair at Barclay Square during the whole of the evening when this accident occurred. The Admiral vouches for him. He's one of the two who have the only keys to the safe. And his key was with him all evening? Right. His key, the key to the building, the key to the room. Hmm. Who was the man with the other key? The senior clerk, Mr. Sidney Johnson. Man of 40, married, silent, morose, with an excellent service record. Any alibi? He too had his key with him, and seems to have spent the evening playing a game of drafts with a greengrocer around the corner from his lodgings. Of course, he has only the word of this greengrocer to back him up. Oh, mind. come, come, my dear Mycroft. No class discriminations, please. The word of a greengrocer is often just as good as that of an admiral. But what about Cadogan West? He had a good reputation, a bit hot headed, but straight and honest. At least, everyone thought so. He was next to Sidney Johnson at the office. 
His duties brought him into daily personal contact with the plans. No one else ever had the handling of them. Oh, it's perfectly clear. He must have taken... Ah, not so fast, Watson. Not so fast. Who locked them up that night? Mr. Sidney Johnson. Ah. They were of value, commercially, I mean. Oh, yes. There's no doubt that West could have got several thousands for them very easily. And yet, only a small amount of money was found on the body. Perhaps the buyer took it back after he'd murdered West. Ah, what puzzles me is, how did West obtain possession of those papers? To do so, he must have had a false key. Several false keys, Sherlock. He had to open the building and the room as well. Oh, well, well, well. Several false keys, then. Let me see, let me see. Suppose West did take the papers and went into town. And on the way back to Woolwich, where he is hoping to replace the papers, he is killed and thrown from the train. But the spot where the body was found is considerably past the station for London Bridge, which is the route to Woolwich. Ah, it's interesting. Also, if young West did make an appointment with some foreign agent to sell the papers that night, why didn't he keep the evening clear? Why buy two theater tickets? Exactly. Furthermore, he actually escorted his fiancée halfway there before he disappeared. A blind. That's what it looks like to me. Why did he take the papers at all? Why not copy them out in the office and sell the copies? He certainly had plenty of opportunity to do so. And why the absence of his underground ticket? Perhaps the ticket would have shown us which station was near the agent's house. So the murderer destroyed it. Good, Watson. Very good. <laughs> and yet... I wonder. Well, here's the underground station. The railway authorities have sent a man round to show you the exact place where the body was found. You won't change your mind and come with us? Go crawling round that black hole on my hands and knees. <laughs> Not very likely. Well, I shall expect a report on your efforts this evening. Uh, never expect too much, Mycroft. Never expect too much. <laughs> Before we follow Holmes and Watson into the mazes of the London subway system, I have a word of advice. Every year, colds cause a lot of sickness. Every year, they cause a lot of expense and time lost from work. Always regard a cold seriously. Always treat it earnestly. At the first sign of a cold, take Grove's bromoquinine tablets. Bromoquinine tablets are famous relief for the distress of a cold. Their efficacy has been fully established. Bromoquinine tablets go right to work on a cold symptom. They don't waste any time. They don't pull any punches. They quickly relieve the misery of a cold. They help reduce the fever of a cold. Thousands of people keep bromoquinine tablets handy all winter. Thousands of people depend on them as their relief for cold. No other preparation enjoys greater confidence than bromoquinine tablets. Follow the example of millions. And at the first sign of a cold, take Grove's bromoquinine tablets. Get them at any drugstore, a few cents a box. Ask specifically for Groves, G-R-O-V-E-S, Bromo, B-R-O-M-O, Quinine, Q-U-I-N-I-N-E, Groves, Bromo, Quinine, Tablet. This way, sir. Step right along the tracks. It isn't safe. Supposing a train should come shooting round that curve. Oh, that's all right, sir. There won't be another for five minutes anyway. Here we are, sir. This is where they found the body. Right here alongside the rails. Lying on its face, it was. Mm, spooky old place, eh, Holmes? Like the catacombs, only without the skeletons. Yeah. Anything in his hands when they found him? No, sir. Were they clenched? Or spread out as if he were protecting himself? No, sir. They was what you might call relaxed. Ah. What time did all this happen? Well, sir, the train he was hoisted out of, as near as we can figure, passed along here about midnight on Monday. All the carriages have been examined for signs of violence, I suppose. They didn't find nothing, not even the missing ticket. There was a passenger to Allgate on the ordinary train, 
About 11.40 it was. He said he'd heard a heavy thud, like something striking the line, just before the train reached this station. But it was so foggy, he said he was blessed if he could see what it was. Home. What's the matter? What are you staring at? The curve, Watson. What the curve of the rails. What of it? What do you, what do you mean? I suppose there aren't many curves as abrupt as this. No, sir, I can't say as there is. What have curves got to do with it? Oh, an indication, Watson, merely an indication. Hmm, unique. Perfectly unique. And yet, why not? I don't see any indications of bleeding on the line. No, sir, there wasn't any to speak of. But I understand there was a considerable wound. The bone was crashed right enough. Holmes, you hear that? It's a train. It's coming this way. Run, sir. Run for your life. Yes, this one. Where? Uh, up ahead. There's a place where the train switches on. Run, Watson, run. It's just around the curve. Well, we'll never make it. We, yes, we will. Faster, faster. There's a switch up ahead. Come on. Here comes the train now. We'll make it. We'll make it. Ah, Justin. Watson, for the love of heaven. You're on the wrong track. That was a narrow escape, Holmes. I, I must say my knees are still shaking. Look at the shoulder of my coat where you pulled it there. Lucky thing for you that I did. Where are we off to now? And in this fog. Yes, it's a nice afternoon. Suppose we pay a few calls. I think Sir James Walter claims our first attention. After that, we might drop in on Miss Westbury. Miss Westbury? Who's she? She is Cadogan West's fiancée and the last person to see him alive. Holmes, we seem to be going around in circles. We've accomplished absolutely nothing so far except to get, to, to get ourselves nearly annihilated in the underground. After all, it's perfectly obvious that the young man had a quarrel with someone, in all probability the agent, to whom he sold the papers, and got himself thrown out of the railway carriage for his pay. I disagree with you, my dear Watson. His body fell from the roof of the carriage where it had been placed. Cadogan West met his death elsewhere. The roof of the train? Consider the facts, Watson. A. The curve in the tracks. The body is found at a spot where the train pitches and sways as it comes around the points. B. There was no ticket. C. There were no signs of bleeding on the line because the body had bled elsewhere. Of course. Everything fits together, but, but where was the body placed on the train? I think I can make a fair guess of that, my dear Watson. Ah, oh, here we are. This is the famous official villa of Sir James Walter. And that, if I'm not mistaken, is his brother, Colonel Valentine, just coming out of the house. What's the matter with the man? He, he looks positively haunted. Oh, uh, pardon me, Colonel Valentine, but can you tell me if, uh, if Sir James is at home? Sir James, sir? Sir James is dead. Good heavens, dead? He died this morning. It's terrible. Terrible. How did he die? Oh, it's this horrible scandal. My brother, sir, was very sensitive of his honor. He couldn't survive the disgrace to his department. It broke his heart. Pardon me, gentlemen. I must go. It, it broke his heart. Most appalling development. Eh, Holmes? Uh, I wonder if his death was natural or if the poor fellow killed himself. Tell Miss Westbury that Mr. Sherlock Holmes would like to see her. Oh, please come in, gentlemen. I'm Violet Westbury, Mr. Holmes. I've been expecting you ever since I heard you had taken the case. Please be seated. Well, thank you. Oh, Mr. Holmes, we, we must save his good name. He couldn't have done it. Cadogan was the most chivalrous patriotic gentleman on earth. He, he couldn't have done it. He would have cut his right hand off rather than sell a state secret. But the facts, my dear Miss Westbury. I admit I can't explain them. Uh, was he in need of money? No, Mr. Holmes. His need was simple and his salary very good. He'd saved several hundred pounds. We were to be married at the new year. I see. Had you noticed any signs of mental excitement? Why, well, that is... Uh, come, Miss Westbury, be frank with us. Yes, Mr. Holmes. Oh, that night, I, 
I had a feeling that there was something on his mind. Mm-hmm. Tell us about it, will you? We were on the way to the theater. It was a foggy night, you remember? We were walking slowly. Our way took us close to his office. Cadogan seemed thoughtful and worried. for the last five minutes. Have I said or done something? Of course not, Silly. It's just that I've got something on my mind. Well, why not tell me about it? Perhaps I can help. It's no use, Vi. It's too serious for me to talk about, even to you. You know, sometimes, Katie, I feel just the least little bit jealous of that old job of yours when you're cooped up in that building all day. Oh, now you're not going to be jealous of the building. <laughs> well, not really. But it is funny to think of a husband having secrets he can't tell his wife. Mighty important secrets, I can promise you. There's one in particular that any foreign spy would pay good money to get hold of. How thrilling. Well, I don't know. They're awfully slack about some things over there in that building, Violet. What's too slack? It would be too confounded easy for a traitor to get his hands on those plans. What plans? Never mind, darling. I guess I'm getting a bit melodramatic. But there's something been worrying me. Hello, what's that? What's what? Over there, that shadow moving along the side of the building. It's a man. So that's it. I always suspected... Oh, what's the matter? You're so excited. What's wrong? Stay here, Violet. There's something I have to find out. Stay here. waited and waited, but he never returned. Oh, Mr. Holmes, if you could only save his honor, it, it meant so much to him. We shall do our best, Miss Westbrook. This, uh, this shadow, this man moving along the building, did you see it too? I think I did, Mr. Holmes. But the night was so foggy, I can't be sure. But there must have been a man. Another man, it, it couldn't have been Cadogan. Surely character goes for something. Let us hope so. Come along, Watson, we must return home. I'm expecting an answer to some telegrams I sent Mycroft earlier this afternoon. We've done enough for one day. Holmes, where have you been all day? You left this morning before I was up. Now you've come home with your towel awry, your suit torn, and as ravenous as a wolf. <laughs> yes, I've had a bit of exercise, my dear Watson. Uh, pass me the tongue, will you? It would have done you good to go along. Yes, what were you doing? Investigating the premises inhabited by foreign spies known to have been in London on last Monday. Mycroft sent me a list of them. Took a bit of doing, too. Climbing walls, breaking into cellars, prowling around rooftops. Well? I discovered... There was only one residence which had the uh, proper facilities for disposing of West's body after the murder. Well, whose residence was that? It belongs to a Hugo Oberstein. The address is 13 Corfield Gardens, Kensington. The gentleman himself has departed for Europe. Gone, has he? He took the plans with him. It's, it's too late. Not necessarily, Watson. What can we do now? We're going to keep a rendezvous with the gentleman who stole and sold those plans. The assignation will take place at Mr. Oberstein's house this evening at nine. Do you see you talking about? Uh, these newspaper clippings. I found them in the drawer of Hugo Oberstein's desk. Read them. Hmm. The Daily Telegraph agony column. The first one says, Too complex for description, must have full report, terms agreed to, payable when goods delivered. Signed, Piero. Piero, indeed. Sounds like a Mardi Gras. Now, read on, Watson, read on. Second goes, Matter presses, must withdraw for unless contract completed. Piero again. And the last, dated Monday, the day the crime was committed. Monday night after nine, two taps, payment in hard cash. I say, do you think it was a submarine that, that the plans that, that he was buying? I'm almost positive. And Puro was Oberstein himself. But you'll find out for certain this evening. I've invited the gentleman who sold the papers to meet us. How? I don't understand. I inserted this advertisement in today's Daily Telegraph. Tonight, same hour, same place, two taps, vitally important. Your own safety at stake. Signed, Puro, as usual. Why, George, if he answers that, we've, we've got him. Unless we're too late. Come on, Watson, there's no time to lose. You can take this passage, uh, package for a change. I'll, uh, 
I've been carrying it around all day. What's in it? Oh, just a jemmy, a dark lantern, a chisel, and a revolver. Nice equipment for a respectable citizen to be carrying about the streets of London. I must... Yeah, you know, Watson, there are times when I suspect we aren't quite respectable. Here we are. This is Coffee Gardens. Thank heavens, it's so foggy. I shouldn't like to be caught in the act of housebreaking. Yeah. Over this wall, Watson. There's a window we can easily pry open in the back. Scale that wall? Oh, come on, hurry up, hurry up. There's no time to lose. Here, here. I'll give you a boost. Mm. Come on, up here. <laughs> That's it. Look out, here I come. I must say, Holmes, you're as agile as a cat. <laughs> it's uncanny. This is the window. Like the lantern and give me the jemmy. One. Two. runs right past here, almost on the level of these windows. I could have reached out and touched it. Yes, quite convenient, wasn't it? It was here the body was placed on the roof of the train. Now, look this, uh, look on this windowsill. Hmm? You can see the soot is blurred where the rest of the body. And here, look here, look, look. This brown stain is blood. Mm, nasty, Holmes. Let's, let's get out of the house. Very well, then. Come along, come along. The window's open. Easy, easy, don't break the glass. Supposing Uncle Steen should happen to return home. Well, we must take our chances in this business. Come along, Watson, come along. My visitor will expect to be let in by the front door. I wish these stairs didn't, didn't squeak so. Nine o'clock. We can expect him at any moment now. You take your position on one side of the door. I'll be on the other. So we can punch on him when he enters. I'll throw my greatcoat over his head. Oh, I wish he'd hurry. Shh, Watson. I wonder what if he doesn't come. There he is. Ready now. I'll open the door. You wanted me? Easy, Watson, easy. All right, Holmes, I've got him. Well, let's take a look at our catch. Take the overcoat away, Watson. Right. Hi, it's, it's Colonel Valentine Walter. Sir James's brother. Quite. Well, sir, what have you to say for yourself? Why did you steal the Bruce Partington plans? Who are you? What do you know about this? I am Sherlock Holmes, and I know everything. Oh, this is terrible. I'm lost. I didn't realize their importance until my brother killed himself. But I needed the money. I had to have it. Oberstein offered to give it to me if I'd let him see the plans. So you took an impression of your brother's key, opened the safe and procured the papers. Cadogan West saw you leaving the building, followed you here, and you killed him. No, I didn't do that. I swear I didn't do it. No? Then perhaps you'd better tell us who did murder Cadogan West and placed him on the roof of the railway carriage. I'll tell you. I promise you I will. I did the rest. I confess it, but, but not that. Very well, then. How did it happen? I got the papers, as you've discovered. Made my way through the fog until I reached the door. Once or twice, I fancied I was being followed. I could hear footsteps on the pavement behind me. Colonel Lauder? Yes? You have the papers? Yes. Let me in, quick. I think someone's been following me. Yes, it's me. You can't do this, Valentine. It's treason. All right, do you hear? No, you can't sell the papers, Valentine. I won't let you. They should see. Look out, Wes. Take that. How do you like that, my impetuous young friend? Papa Oberstein, he knows how to use a blackjack, eh? You, you, you've killed him. So? It's murder. I'm going to get out of this. Oh, no. I think difference. You will come in here if you do not wish to taste the blackjack, too. But I... I... But... That is better. Oh, what can we do? They'll find the body. I have an idea. First, I look at those papers. I take the ones I want and the rest. We put in the pocket of this foolish young man. And then we give him a nice ride on top of the underground train, No. He will be the guilty one. Who will ever know? 
What a thoroughly unpleasant gentleman. What a pity that he got away with the papers, Dr. Watson. Oh, but he didn't. Augustine had left a Paris forwarding address with Colonel Walters. That gentleman sent him a letter dictated by Holmes, saying that he had discovered that one essential detail in the plans was missing, and that he had procured a tracing which would make it complete for a price. And did Oberstein swallow the bait? <laughs> did he swallow it? He was arrested as he got off the boat at Folkestone. Some weeks later, I learned incidentally that Holmes had spent a day at Windsor Castle and returned with a remarkably fine emerald type-in. When I asked him where he got it, he answered it was just a small present from a certain gracious little old lady for whom he'd been able to do a, a small favor. Yes, and I think I can guess the lady's august name. Elementary, my dear Mr. Manning, elementary. I see. Ladies and gentlemen, in just a moment, Dr. Watson will be back to tell us about next week's story. In the meantime, let us repeat. Watch out for colds. At the first sign of a cold, take Grove's bromoquinine tablet. Bromoquinine tablets are made especially for the relief of colds. In other words, they're specialized medication, and that's what you want. Yes, at the very first sneeze or sniffle, go right to your druggist and get a package of Grove's bromoquinine tablets. Now, Dr. Watson, next week... Next week, I think I'll tell you the story of the lion's mane. The lion's mane? What was that, Dr. Watson? Oh, the answer to that question, Mr. Manning, almost tumped Sherlock Holmes himself. Suffice it to say that they were the last words gasped out by a dying man as he lay writhing in agony on the sands of the Sussex coast. <laughs> You have been listening to a Sherlock Holmes adventure, adapted from Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story, The Bruce Partington Plan, with Basil Rathbone as Sherlock Holmes and Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson. The dramatization was by Edith Miser. This program is presented from Hollywood every week at this same time by the makers of Grove's bromoquinine tablets. Quick relief for cold. This is Knox Manning speaking. <laughs> All right. Now that we've heard the show, it's time for our highs and lows on this episode. Let me introduce my special guest. I have with me my partner in all things is Pat DJ Cristados. Welcome back to 221B, Pat. Thank you, Jared. Uh, <coughs> uh -oh. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, you know, we flew into 221B. We're here. It's really foggy outside. I'm uh, I'm just not feeling it good. You know, I think I'm getting a code and I, I think I need watch something. That. You got to watch that cold. It'll it can turn into something worse. Yeah, I think <clears throat> what I think is going to be helpful for me right now is I've been coming back to two twenty one B. I'm going to start selling a lot of stuff, so I'm going to start with this good product I have for cold. It's called <clears throat> Pat's Pipe Stash. Just a little. <laughs> I thought you were going to say grows bromine, bromine, uh, bromine tablets, man, not pipe no, stash. No, you know, <laughs> they may try to sell you that stuff, but yeah, it's good for cold. But what's good right now is Pat's pipe stash. <laughs> you take a hit off of that, it'll cure anybody. <sighs> Even cured Every my time. daughter off the wild turkey. <laughs> Every time. Every time. Me and Dave, we're going to get together. We're going to start to grow the 221B. Oh, uh, stuff man. over here. No, yeah. geez. So don't forget, you start feeling, you're getting a cold, getting sick, Pat's pipe stash. <laughs> That's P A T. Oh, God. <laughs> P I P E S T A S H. Pat's pipe stash. Find it in your local grocery store. You even feel a cold coming on. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
All right. Well, we've already heard from it. Welcome back to 220B. It is Longbox Crusade, co-host of lots of things. It's Jason the Weasel Skull. Albrick, welcome back to 221B. Yeah, man, I got a stable internet connection right now. So uh, hand me the Jimmy and let's light this uh, lantern and let's get this thing going. Let's make this happen. Maybe you should take uh, Pat's pipe, pipe stash. <laughs> yeah, pipe stash does is helpful for internet clogs as well, too. All right. Well, you guys have heard the episode. You know who the guests are. I got Cristados here. I got Weasel Skull here. Weasel Skull, we will start with you. This is your first radio show episode with us. So before you launch into your first high, you can roll right into it whenever you want. But just give the listeners a little bit of history with Sherlock Holmes radio show. Uh, do you have any? Is this the first time? Did you maybe have some on cassette as a child, as I mentioned on a previous episode? Let everybody know. I might have had one on cassette uh, as a child as, uh, in a previous episode. Back in the day, they used to sell those old-timey radio dramas on cassette. I think I picked it up at like a, I don't know, Barnes & Noble, Walden Books, some bookstore where they sold them. I had uh, A Scandal in Bohemia. That's mm-hmm. the one that, mm-hmm. that I had. I remember it. And uh, really enjoyed that. Listen to that quite often. So, yeah, this uh, listening to this episode really kind of gave me nostalgic feelings for that cassette tape and how many hours of enjoyment I, I got just listening to that case. Absolutely. I remember that cassette, too. I probably listened to it a dozen times or more. So, Jason, now that they've kind of got your background with it, Cristados, uh, we all know your background from last episode. This is your second uh, episode that you've ever listened to, I do believe, because you were here mm-hmm. last time. Everybody knows where we're coming from. So, Jason, let's talk about the... The radio episode itself. What do you got in round one? Man, I really enjoyed it. I listened to it. I usually take a good long walk or go for a run after work. So I was walking the trails and put this on and it was a lot of fun. And I think, I guess the high that I would focus on coming out of the gate was Mycroft, man. Anytime Mycroft is in there and the relationship between Mycroft Holmes is just, it's great. And I think that was probably one of my favorite parts of that episode. Holmes just fat shaming Mycroft. (laughs) Jerk to him. Yeah. He was like, your fat couldn't even catch a cold. You don't need no bromo quinine tablets. (laughs) (laughs) Sit your ass on the couch. Sit on the couch. You haven't gotten any thinner. Like, that's right. And 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 my boy Mycroft wasn't even trying to deny. He's like, nah, man, I'm <laughs> Give me that couch. <laughs> Give me that couch. I'm too lazy. You go out there and Jimmy those windows and climb on those <laughs> and figure out where that body fell from. I ain't doing it, son. Get on your hands and knees and put your face to a spyglass. <laughs> That's right. You bring me the facts and I'll solve it. <laughs> You're like my Uber Eats of clues. <laughs> 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 oh, so Mycroft, that was my high. Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny is for years, I never really had a, a true mental image of Mycroft in my mind until I watched the Bretts. And he's going to be Charles Gray in my mind, like all the time now from the Jeremy Brett series. Ah, oh, over to you, Pat. Highs or lows on this particular episode, the Bruce Partington plans. Like Jason, I was surprised to hear Minecraft on here as well, too. And how Holmes was treating him was interesting to me. I was like, whoa, wow, that's brotherly love right there, you know. But it was very cool to kind of just hear their reactions to each other and the story play out. 
I was expecting it to be him, you know, as an adversary to Holmes. I was like, oh, did Minecraft has something to do with this? Did he set it all up to do, you know, Pat, not knowing your Sherlock Holmes history, I'm going to do with you. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I mean, it's it's a first time we're coming into it. If you don't know much, that's perfectly reasonable consideration. But yeah, no, as you now know, you know, Mycroft is exactly who he is. He's a heavy advisor to the government. Okay. Heavy and, well, I guess two (laughs) two cents of the word. word, Double entendre. (laughs) (laughs) And, And he is often referred to as Sherlock Holmes' smarter brother. Like, he's smarter than Holmes, but he just lacks energy and enthusiasm. (laughs) But no, I think he was well played. Going back to what you both said, I feel like Holmes came off as kind of a turd. Like, you know, he's like, do you know what Mycroft is, Watson? Watson's like, he's your brother, of course. No, 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 must you be so (laughs) dense? Like, jeez, man. Like, wow. Dumb couldn't even run on the right side of the train switch. Dumb Holmes was giving it to everybody on this episode. Oh, man. Speaking of what Jason just mentioned, though, the, the whole running on the tracks thing with the train coming, I thought that was good radio drama. Like, I kind of got invested in that. Yeah, guys- I, thought, I, I thought there was something was going to happen. I'm like, well, Watson obviously isn't going to have something going to happen to him because, you know, he's telling the story from <laughs> he's got a, a while ago, but it was still suspenseful to go. Are they going to make it? Or is somebody not going to make it? What, what's going on? <laughs> and I listened to this thing twice. I listened to the first go around and then I had some time. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to listen to it again, just in case I missed anything, because I really thought it was a good story. Well, it's right from Conan Doyle. It's a very solid recreation of a Conan Doyle original. And you know what? I, just to host this show, I'm here for the guests. So, Jason, maybe talk about that. How'd you feel about a the the train scene and and b you know this adaptation of a Conan Doyle original? Well, talking about a, I think you hit the nail on the head. It was really good radio drama. It put a little bit of an action scene in there. I kind of half expected them to go to commercial, you know, like do another plug for the. Absolutely, <laughs> I thought that would be the perfect. Commercial. <laughs> That's what I was waiting for. Like. While we await the fate of Dr. Watson, don't forget to shoot up your quinine. So, but I thought that it was very entertaining and it was kind of interesting because when they first got out on the tracks, they were, Watson's like, man, you sure this is safe? Like, it's a good idea. And the guy's like, oh, train won't be along for like, you know, five minutes. Five minutes ain't a lot of time, dude. And I don't think you lose older. I'm not track of time when when my life is on the line. Hey, I use track and line in that. That's two puns. Anyway. <laughs> There's a plus or minus six minutes for, that, for, <laughs> for error. Your margin of error is, is like, a little sketchy. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, guys. Maybe you should just wait for this train to pass and then go and do your investigation. So they kind of set it up well, and I thought it was fun. And then as to the second part of your question, I thought, like you said, this is a really faithful retelling. I was actually thinking, I think we watched a year or so ago when I was at your house for Christmas. I think we watched this one. I was remembering seeing this. And as I listened to the radio drama, I was like, yeah, this is a really faithful recreation of both the book and what I've seen in the Jeremy Brett series. 
So, yeah, they did a really good job of taking a good classic and putting it on the radio and really so you could visualize the whole thing. I thought just the way they did it was excellent. I agree. And like Pat, I listened to this multiple times. I think I listened to it during a walk like Jason did. Then I run a, have about an hour and change drive up and back to Montgomery about once a week for my day job. And I listened to it then again as well because... Mainly, well, I like it, but mainly because, too, I thought in the second half, I wanted to make sure I was keeping track of all the players, right? This is a little easier story to tell, I think, visually. I had to really focus and go, okay, we've got the guy who's dead, his Mm -hmm. girlfriend, his office mate, his office mate's brother, and the German spy. (laughs) And that is a lot to keep up with on a radio show. I wanted to make sure I had it right before we recorded. So I guess what I'm saying to our listening audience who just heard the show along with us, is sometimes it might be good on these complex ones to give it a couple listens, or maybe I'm just an idiot. One of the two. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. I, that's why I, I had to listen to it again. I'm like, am I going to get duped? Did I get duped when I first listened to it? And so I wanted to go back through and figure out who was who and when it was happening because they did kind of go, you know, they did the old flashback scenes a few times in this one, but I think they did it well in this drama. And I'll just say three for three, because I, I too got a little bit confused after the first listen. The part that I lost out was like, I had to go back and listen again to how he found the house. The clues that led him to right. Oberstein yeah, I, or yeah. Oberstein or whatever his name was. Yeah, so I too had to give it a couple listens to get all the facts straight. <laughs> I did like how they kind of talked about how he did that. He's like, oh, I've been out all night long, just, you know, climbing through windows and... <laughs> And he's like, what you got in that bag? He's like, oh, I got a crowbar and a gun. And Watts was like, all all the things a gentleman. (laughs) He's like, I got a file, a crowbar, a lantern, and a a revolver. Some bullets. (laughs) (laughs) I did like that line, though. He said, you know, sometimes I think we might not be so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we we might be not necessarily on the up and up. I can't remember what exactly phrase you. That was right, right. That was funny. I like it when Watson okay. mentions how kind of spry Holmes is. We're like in- a cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun in that. And I guess we'll just kind of do one more round. Well, feel free to talk any more you'd like on the story, but I kind of want to lean more into the production of it, you know, the nostalgia of it, the production of it. We kind of talk about that on the last episode. I like to keep that going. Did you have any highs or lows around the production, the nostalgia of it, anything like that? And we'll start with you, Pat. The production is just amazing for the time that it was done. It kept me enthralled. And, you know, this is how old? This was from season one of the radio show, which was 1939. Okay, so so that's quite a long time from now. And it still had me interested. It was one of those things where I am paying attention to what's going on. And again, having to re-listen to it again. I didn't skip anything. I listened to it all the way through again and just felt so comfortable, you know, Mm -hmm. enjoying it. Yeah, I think part of that has to do, and I hope not stealing anything Jason's thunder, but I I really, especially like this one's intro, the foggy streets. Yeah, I think it really built you in the atmosphere. Holmes mad that there wasn't more crime happening out there. (laughs) Well, it makes sense, though. You know, it's like, yeah, that's right. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, Jason, mind, <laughs> Jason, your thoughts on the production of it, 
the nostalgia of it. Any thoughts around that? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. 1939, this is kind of the height of Nazism, you know, at this point, Hitler's really invading Europe. We're not in the war yet, but I thought it was interesting, the German spy element of Mm. this and the plan. So I thought that timing was pretty interesting. Production-wise, I liked how it started, where the guy that's like the narrator who's also, you know, selling you your quinine tablets goes to meet with Watson. And it starts right at that beginning. We're going to sit down with Watson in front of the fire. And then Watson starts regaling you with this story, just like in the Sherlock Holmes novel. So everything was was kind of a nice little allegory. And you touched upon it, setting the scene with the fog. And you get the irritated, bored Holmes. And then as the story progresses and he's excited and he's thrilled he's starving at breakfast because he's been out running around and climbing roofs and breaking into houses and and i didn't realize that there was a spy section of town <laughs> i guess there i was is. in the spy section of town you know checking out all these residents so they really captured the characters well just through their voices the inflection in their voices like i said kind of that lackadaisical melancholy, kind of angry because crime's not up, like you said, Holmes at the beginning, and then the really excited, almost youthful energy that he has as he's solving the case. I thought all that was just really well produced. Absolutely concur, and and definitely get used to that format, Jason. It's always the guy who's selling something, who goes to see Watson, who starts to tell the tale. In these early seasons, it's Bromo Quinine Tablets. And then as Pat, you know, because you were on our first yeah, Petri uh, wine. was Petri Wine. They take over about halfway through. Because the last one we did was season six, five or six, something like that, much later on. So yeah, Bromo Quinine and Petri Wine are the guys who are bringing you these things. Definitely the production thought that I had when listening to this one, because we talked last time about how these are done live. And that's kind of really cool. That you can sometimes hear little verbal flubs or somebody who goes a little too soon on the line something. or whatever. A couple of those, but it's always kind of charming because you're like, they're doing this live, you know, on the radio. Like, that's really cool. And then what occurred to me on this one, and it didn't occur to me last time, I was like, wait a minute. Not only are they doing it live, which is already impressive, like, how did they stay on pace? Because they're all perfectly 30 minutes. True. They must have either practiced the crap out of it or like they had like certain notes, you know, marks on the script that says we need to be here at this time and here at this time. So they knew when they kind of needed to pick up the pace or talk a little slower. To I don't know how they did it, but I was like, that's impressive. Well, Jared, as someone who's always under the thumb to get my synopsis in in two minutes, <laughs> I can tell you there's some tricks that I've learned. <laughs> Still hasn't done one of those in two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I ignore that rule. That's my trick. Oh, okay. (laughs) All right. Any final thoughts around this episode of Sherlock Holmes radio show? Pat? I enjoyed all the actors on here, their parts that they played. This one was just very good, I thought, compared to the other one we heard. You like this one better? I do like this one better. Well, this one, I think what it has as a leg up is that it is an actual... Conan Doyle. Okay. Maybe that, maybe that's it. Cause this one was more as like, you know, there is something going on with the detective side of it. You know, the mystery part of it. Peek behind the curtain here. I've listened to a lot of these and it's kind of amusing. Cause certainly as you get down the seasons, they, they run out of 
sure doyle source material and they start doing their own things and what's funny is they're still at the end of every episode they'll be like tonight's episode was called whatever whatever and it was based on a story idea from you know the five orange pips by sure sir arthur Conan Doyle. and there comes a part where i'm listening to these and i'm like what? <laughs> There's no way connected. Like, I think they're making it up at some point that it was suggested as an idea from them. Like, <laughs> what? I, don't, I saw no connection there, but uh, it'll be fun to do these, especially, you know, Jason's really smart on the Conan Doyle source material. So it'd be neat if Jason can identify some where some of those elements come from on future episodes. Because I sometimes I'm like, I swear they just made it up. <laughs> I swear they made it up. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm kind of interested in, in the, that where they're getting the stories from um you know i have the books the big you know the big thick books of the adventures and all that nice and so now it makes me want to go back and, and read those stories to see how they intertwine but like jason said it sounds like this one was pretty spot on yeah they use a lot of the source material of homes from conan doyle in the first uh, couple seasons and then from there it's it's very much like the James Bond franchise. <laughs> you get a lot of Fleming up front, and then it's off to the races <laughs> with suggestions. <laughs> all right, Jason, you've waited patiently. Your your wrap-up thoughts on this one. I think we've hit all the high points. I will give a shout-out to the uh, actor who played the fiancé of the deceased military officer there. I thought she did a really good job as well. I liked how she was trying to save her dead fiance's honor. I thought that the, it was just was really well done. So just hats off to her before we forget it. And the only other thing that I that I noticed is that the lion's mane, the, the next episode that they tease at the end of it there is also uh, source material homes. So just yes. a, another note there. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I'm on the aforementioned website, the Arthur Conan Doyle Encyclopedia. And I'm looking at the 1939 lineup, and they are all all Doyles. And the 1940 looks to be almost all Doyles, maybe all with a couple of news. And then I, even into season two, I see Copper Beaches, Redheaded okay. League, cool. Crooked Man. That's in season two. They're going to run out, though. <laughs> I'm here to say. The way like, they're cranking them out, they will. <laughs> yeah, they're they going to crank out a bunch. And if you listen to our last radio show episode, you know, we talked about the double zero, which is not Conan Doyle source, but it was a lot of fun. All right. Nothing left to do now but to score it. So, Pat, Pipes, Stash. <laughs> Get them out because pipe stash. Yes. We score these things on a scale of quinine tablets. Are you going to give this one? (laughs) We score these things on a scale of one to five pipes around these parts. Five pipes means you loved it. It solved your mystery. Four pipes means it was really good. Three pipes means it was good. And two, it was, it was okay. And one, I did not like it. It threw me off of Reichenbach falls. Pat, what are you going to give it? I am going to give this one a four. I liked it. I mentioned it. I liked it so much that I went back and listened to it again and thoroughly enjoyed it for the second time around as well. Awesome. I love to hear it. Jason, what do you think? One to five. I'm going to agree with Pat and go with a four, seeing as this is the first one. I really enjoyed it. They made reference in there to the Greek interpreter, which I'm assuming might have been an earlier one that I missed or something. I like that story a little bit more than this one. And that also has my craft. So if I was going to give a five, I'm thinking it'd probably be to that one or one of the stories that I liked a little bit more. 
but this one was really good. So four from me. You know, interesting fun facts. This was episode six of season one, and the Greek interpreter would be episode sixteen. So they 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 mm. reference. I mean, they're clearly referencing it from a literary point of view, like right. But they won't actually record that episode until ten episodes later. <laughs> that is an odd, good catch by Jason on that one. I think I'm going to join you guys. I gave the last episode a four. I feel like this was a four as well. I'm really enjoying it. I'm. I'm waiting for that home run feeling. Oh, I love this one for a five. But this was definitely a lot of fun. And that is it for this episode of LBC Irregulars, a Sherlock Holmes podcast. I want to thank my guests. Let's see where they can be found on the Internet. We will start with Jason. You can find me at Weasel Skull on Twitter or Jason Albrick on Facebook and Instagram. Well, Jared, I'm glad you asked. You can find me on the Twitter at Christatos01, or you can also find us at Pat's Pipe Stash. <laughs> of course we can. And I am Jared Albrecht, the Yard Sale Artist. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Yard Sale Artist. You can check out my wares at www.theyardsaleartist.com. And remember, you can leave us a voicemail with your thoughts. Become part of the show. Call us at 707-532-5269. That's 707-532-L-Box. Or comment on the show at Long Box Crusade, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Or email us directly at contact at longboxcrusade.com. Your comments might be read or played on the show. Thank you for joining us. As a reminder, we could not do this show and all the other shows on the Long Box Crusade Network without the support of our Crusaders Club members over on Patreon. And you can join their ranks for as little as $1 a month at www.patreon.com slash longboxcrusade. And we'll now thank our Crusaders Club members as we ride off in our handsome cab. I've been your host, Jared Albert, the Yard Sale Artist, and I look forward to you joining me on the next episode. And Helica Wolf. Oh, Auburn Elvis. Blast it or stash it. Braxton Underwood. Captain Entropy. Clinton Robinson. Dave Collins. Battle Wagon himself. Ezra Gallo. Gary Viola. Gene Hendricks. Gerald Green. Jason Keane. Jeremy L. Jim Jamin, Jim Jamin, Jim Jamin, Jim Jamin. Who would be like Jim Jamin too? Joe Thomas. John Watson. Josh Strickland. Candace Ward. Kathy Bright. MVP. Mark Ross, a.k.a. Cluck Trent. Maxwell Traber. Miranda W. P.D. Devins. Paul Hicks. Rick from Jeff and Rick Present. Rob Morgan. Ryan Daly. Samantha Maney. Sean Urbanski. Spidey67. Spreadsheets. Steve Cronin. Tim Price. Tony Pennington. And Toronto Cop. This episode features the copyright-free music Shattered Glass by C.J. Beards.